Hey, church. Our first Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 2. It's from verse 5 to 11. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12 from verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy is in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Johnny and Linda. Beautifully read. Hey, guys. Whether you're here in the building or online, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at church. Honestly, so excited to be here. Kind of feels like a kid on his first day at school. <laughs> Just like hope the other kids like me. <laughs> um, a couple of facts about me before I get into it. Um, when I'm wearing shoes, I'm exactly two metres tall. So perfect yardstick if you want to measure anything. Um, if your life expectancy is based on diet, I haven't got long left. I pretty much just eat burgers, potato gems, and garlic aioli. Anyone else out there? Got for you. Um, at this point, I haven't really got blood in my veins. I've just got batch brew. Is anyone get black coffee? Um, far more importantly, I'm married to beautiful Becca. She's a, a really gifted psychologist and a great lover of people. And I have a little daughter named Adeline who's eight months old and I think is objectively the cutest baby in the world. Happy to show you photos later if you'd like to see them. But she's awesome. Absolute gift from the Lord. Um, we have got a really beautiful passage here. And I don't want you to miss out. So if you've got a Bible with you, it'd be really great for you to open up Romans chapter 12. Um, if you've got one of those booklets with you, the reading's in there as well. So you want to keep that with you. That's going to be really helpful. Um, one of the hallmarks of our age... Um, I think true for capitalistic Western society, especially true for here in the North Shore, is that we love to exalt success. We love to elevate the successful, those who have achieved something. Um, We really, really want to project an image that we're like that 
that we're successful, that we're meaningful, almost to try and prove that we've kind of are worthy of the breath that we take and worthy of the space that we occupy on the world. And it's just kind of it's true all over our city, but particularly in the North Shore, it's something that just is just kind of an undercurrent of everything that we do, everything that happens. Um, and it's something that whether you buy into that and actually believe that for yourself, it's the ocean that we swim in, yeah. It's going to have its an effect on you. It's going to have its way in the way that you look at yourself and the way that you look at the world. It becomes a lens through which we start to kind of understand everything around us. But the problem is, it's completely counter to the way of Jesus. Completely counter to the way of Jesus. He completely disrupts and overturns the, the worldly metrics of success and achievement and wealth and image. And instead he says, I love the broken and the vulnerable and the lost and the, the, the people that really no one else cares about. I want to say those are the people that I care deeply about. We've got a danger that if we're not willing to open our eyes and see what our culture is doing as it presses upon us, that we're just going to subtly but convincingly start to think and feel and live in the way of the world instead of in the way of Jesus. So there's just two really clear things that I want Paul to speak to us out of the words of Scripture, God to speak to us out of the words of Scripture. So we need to think about ourselves rightly, and we need to think about others rightly. Think about ourselves rightly and think about others rightly. Um, Got your Bible open, check with me, verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He thinks it's worth raising right at this beginning, right after verses one and two, where he said, hey, I want you to live your entire life to the worship of God. I want you to be a living sacrifice on the altar of God's praise. First thing he says right after that is you need to know that you're gonna be tempted to think too highly of yourself. And we're not just talking about one of many things that you can do that might be bad, one of many bad journeys that you might take. We're talking about something central that's going to take hold of every single one of us. And it's this temptation to elevate ourselves. And the reason I think we do that is because we buy into the idol of comparison. We buy into this fact that if I can find a bunch of people who are doing worse than me in life, that must mean I'm doing okay, hey? And so if I can kind of go and stand on the heads of those who are kind of failing and I can prove that I've got more things on my resume and my life looks a little bit more successful, I've got a few more Instagram followers, things look really pretty on my end, then I'm probably doing okay. You know, I'm not as good as, you know, the presidents and the, you know, the politicians and the really successful people, but you know, I'm doing all right. It's important to notice that this is exactly what every one of us is going to be tempted to step into. And I don't want to understate this because I believe that pride is the spiritual poison that will kill you. I believe that pride is the, the underlying unseen sin of our hearts that will drag us away from our King and Savior Jesus and will leave us beaten and, and de dead in the dust. I don't want this to come across too strong, but you know, I want to be very strong here. I really believe that pride is one of the most central things that will take hold of you and I, modern Christians, and pull us away from Jesus. And the reason it's so deadly is because we don't even realize that it's happening. It's because we're too busy evaluating ourselves through the lens of the world rather than through the lens of Jesus. And it's so, so difficult because it's, it's still present in people of faith. Like we met Jesus at one point in our life 
And we came to him broken, aware of our sin. And we said, okay, Jesus, I need you. Would you wash me with your blood? Would you set me free from my sin? Would you, would you bring me into your kingdom? Would you adopt me into your family? And we kind of walked that journey for a little while. Then a little while later, we think, well, actually, I'm doing much better. I'm not really wrestling with that sin that I was before. And you know, actually, I'm, you know, I'm actually okay. Like, I'm doing all right. And so Jesus, how about, how about we kind of, kind of go this way? I'll meet you in heaven because you're going to be great over there. But in the meantime, I'm going to stand on my own two feet here. I'm going to prove to you that I'm worthy of you. And it becomes this sense of, of works and, and building up a, a sense of ourselves apart from Him. And the reason that's so dangerous is because no matter how holy you happen to be in this world, you will never live apart from the grace of Jesus. There's not a single moment that you live and breathe and exist apart from the grace of God. And there's no moment that you don't desperately need His forgiveness I don't care how polished and beautiful you can make your life look on the outside. You desperately need His love. And that's why pride's so deadly. Here's the line. I want you to write it down if you've got a pen. Kill pride before pride kills you. Kill pride before pride kills you. So Paul says, don't think highly of yourself. Instead, think of yourself with sober judgment. Almost like imagine you're a completely neutral third party to your life. Go and have a look at the person that you are with complete sober judgment, with no horse in the race. Work out exactly what sort of person are you standing before King Jesus. And that's the call for all of us. Rather than trying to elevate ourselves by looking down on others, let's live for an audience of one, yeah? Let's look up to the king of the universe and say, I'm not living for any of these other voices and, and faces that are around me. I'm living for one person and one person alone, and he's the one sitting on the throne. I think we get it. I think we get pride. I think we, we see arrogant people. We see boastful people, and we go, well, no, I don't want to be like that. I actually want to be humble. I want to be someone that you know, is quiet and loving, and you know, especially if you know Jesus, that's what you want. But there's another side to the coin of pride that I think we don't talk enough about. It's that side of pride that doesn't elevate ourselves, but actually denigrates ourselves and lowers ourselves. Um, it's where instead of looking at others and thinking, man, I'm way better than those idiots over there, instead we go, hey, I'm absolutely useless and worthless. Look at how much better everyone is than me. It's still pride. It's still evaluating ourselves through the metrics of the world. I'm not successful. I'm not beautiful. I haven't managed to pull my life together. And so therefore, we just completely demean ourselves and lower ourselves. But again, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus looks at you in your mess and he says, I love you. I don't care who you are or what you've done. I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to give myself for you. And so it's so important that we just completely throw out this idea of pride entirely, whether it's elevating yourself or lowering yourself. Here's what C.S. Lewis says the, 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 the essence of true humility is. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's that picture of Jesus, God himself, worthy of all praise and honor and glory, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he lowered himself, took on the nature of a servant, became a human, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Where does that story end? But God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, seated him at the right hand of the throne of the living Father, deserving the worship of people for all eternity. God takes hold of those who are humble, who don't fix on themselves, and he exalts them. But he promises that those who exalt themselves in this age, he will humble them and lower them. We need to be a people who 
who kill pride in whatever form it takes in your life before it kills us. But I just want to have a quick, quick word to anyone sitting here who, who kind of sits in that camp of kind of lowering yourself, demeaning yourself, feeling like you're not worthy. I just want to say, who are you to tell God that he makes mistakes, hey? We're all broken. We're all sinful. We're all imperfect. But the person that you are, I'm talking to you, specifically you, God knows you and lovingly, intentionally, precisely made you. You don't get to tell him, well, I'm, I'm worthless. I don't have, have a real space in this world. No, no, God made you and put you here. You say, well, I'm, I'm actually unlovable. You know, there's nothing within me that's deserving of love. Well, Jesus begs to differ. I can, I can point you to a guy, hands wide on a cross, waiting to embrace you with the love of a man who gave everything for you. You are worthy. Not because of how good you are, but because he says you are. Because he loves you. Because he gave everything to you. We just got to put to death this idea that, you know, I'm a subpar Christian. I'm not good enough. You know, the people that get up here on the stage, they're so good at praying. And, you know, I wish that I could talk to my friends about Jesus like that other person. And, you know, I just feel like I'm not as godly as that other person over there. Some of those things might be true, but let's stop evaluating ourselves through the lens of comparison and the worldly metrics. Jesus says, you right now, the person that you are in all of your mess, I love you. And you are worthy. And I will never let you go. We need to think of ourselves rightly. We need to, we need to let the gospel be the lens, the good news of Jesus to be the, the lens that we interpret ourselves, not the metrics of this world. And it's so important because if we don't stop and do something about it, it will just implicitly be forced upon us. You know, a lot of us, are, being here on the North Shore, are living in the corporate world even if you're not living in the corporate world. We're trying to find the right job. We're trying to climb the ladder. We're trying to build a life for ourselves, eventually buy that you know, coveted one-bedroom apartment that costs $6 million in Sydney. We're trying to find that beautiful person that will finally complete us, and we're trying to forge a life for ourselves. And if we're not careful, we're just going to move with the current of the world, and in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to look back, and we're going to think, how the heck did I get here? This wasn't the path of Jesus. It's time to open our eyes and see that Jesus wants to say right now where you are, the place you need to be is fixed upon his love and to find everything about your identity and about who you are as a person on who he says you are, not upon who this world says you are. Um, a couple of things for us to do as a community. Can we, can we start lowering the mask? Like I know we got rid of the masks last week from you know, like the physical masks, but can we stop doing the Christian church mask thing where I walk into the building, you say, hey, Nick, how are you going? I say, oh, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Things are going great. My wife's beautiful. My baby's the best baby. I already said that before, but um, you know, things are great. My bank account's full. I've got this beautiful property. And you check out my Instagram. I went to this really wonderful place on the weekend, but it turns out that I'm tired, burnt out, depressed, and upset, but I wasn't willing to tell you. And then I say, hey, how are you going? You're, oh, yeah, everything's fine because we're scared to like, let the mask down and show that the image we're projecting is entirely false. Can we just can we put that to death? There's no place for a mask other than the physical protective ones in the place of God. Right? We need to be a people of vulnerability. Because that's what we were when we came to Jesus. We were vulnerable. We said, Jesus, you see to the deep, dark corners of my soul and you know exactly what I am capable of and exactly what I've done. And guess what? I'm going to lay it at your feet. Please love me. And that's what he calls for us to do every single day. Take the mask off with God. Take the mask off with each other. Hey, if you want to grow in your faith with Jesus, if you want to become a person who does look at yourself with sober judgment, invite a couple, this is terrifying, invite a couple of people 
to speak into those dark corners of your soul. It kind of feels like you're getting naked. It's not. It is terrifying. Let someone see the broken parts of you. Take that mask off with a couple of trusted people and just invite them. Would you, would you this year point out to me those parts of me that are just completely contrary to the way of Jesus? Um, would you walk this journey of faith with me so that I can care more about my sanctification and holiness with Jesus than I care about my comfort? And it is terrifying and it requires vulnerability. But can you imagine what this 7 p.m. church family would look like if we were willing to let our guards down to invite people in like that? Can you imagine what God might do in, in just this whole community? It could, be, it could be transforming. It could change absolutely everything for you and for us. That's what he's calling us to do, to start rooting ourselves in our identity in Jesus and thinking of ourselves rightly as we do that. He moves on from us to others. And you get this brilliant, this brilliant illustration of the body of Christ. You've been in church for a minute. You know, you've heard this story before. You read the Bible before. It comes up in like four different places. It's this picture of, of God's people. When, when God saves us, he doesn't just save us separately. He saves us and forms us into this body of Christ. It's, it's this beautiful picture of, of a single body where every person sitting on a chair right now or sitting on a lounge at home right now is a different body part that makes up this single entity that is the body of Christ. And I just love this because it just screams so many beautiful truths about the Christian church and about you as a believer. Here's two things. It says that we depend on each other. It says that we depend on each other. But it also says that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. We depend on each other because there's no sense in which a single body part can exist without being connected to the whole body. Um, I used to, this is a really weird fact about me, but I used to sit in year eight science and just look at this big, you know, kind of vase thing that was filled with preservative vinegar stuff. I'm not too sure what it is. They just had an enormous eyeball in it. You guys know in those science labs where they've got these weird things preserved in jars? It feels like they're proving that it's a real science lab or something. I just remember there was one behind my teacher and I spent the whole year just staring at this giant eyeball. It's like the size of my fist. I have no idea what creature it came from, but it was amazing. I used to sit there and just like, wow, Eyes, this is existential crisis mode for you, right, boy. Can you, who made an eye like that? That's amazing. You've got these like weird tendrily bits coming out the back and it's just got this big retina and, you know, wow, look at this eye. This is amazing. And, you know, if you've spent any time looking at eyes, they're just these really fascinating parts of our bodies that we really don't know a lot about. We know some. We know enough to do something with them. We know that they make you see. That's good. Um, but, but we really don't know a lot. They're very complicated. They're very complex. They're, they're just this really interesting part of the body. But I just think about that, that, that eyeball in the vase as I think about this passage because that eyeball was doing nothing. It wasn't seeing anything. It wasn't contributing anything to the world at large other than you know, my interest as a year eight science student. It just kind of... Its entire purpose was to just float in a pile of vinegar. And for some reason, we think it's different with the Christian church. It's like, hey, I'm a body part, but I'm pretty good. I think I could do it on my own. You know, I'm an eyeball. I'm going to try eating through my eye hole, and I'm going to try walking by, like, rolling down the street. And it's just ridiculous. Can you imagine that the thought of a single body part existing and living without its connection to the body? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We are an interdependent community of faith. Write that down. We are an interdependent community of faith. When Jesus saves you, he looks at you as an individual and he sees you. It's not just this faceless crowd. He sees you. 
He knows your sin, he knows your burden, and he comes and he loves you and he saves you. But when he saves you, he takes hold of you and he saves you into a community. When God saves, he gathers. Because God has this beautiful, glorious plan to save a whole host of people across the entire world and to bring them before him on his eternal throne and show his glory to this community of people from every walk of life, from every season of life, from from whatever they've been through. He's gathered them together to become his bride for the Lord Jesus. There's gonna be this beautiful moment when in perfection and in unity, we get to step into everything that we were made to be with our King Jesus. That's what God's doing right now in this moment. And so there's no place for Lone Ranger rogue Christianity. You can't be a Christian by yourself. You can have faith in Jesus and be saved absolutely by yourself. But if you want to continue in the Christian faith and live out your identity, you are a part of the body of Christ. You belong in a family of God. We're interdependent. And I love this because there's a bunch of stuff that you guys Each one of you have different giftings and strengths and abilities. God's made you lovingly and uniquely. And I absolutely suck at those things. And if we had a whole church of Nick Woods, there'd just be a lot of yelling and excitement, but nothing would get done, hey? Like, we need the various people that we are. We we actually form this beautiful church because of our differences, there's something beautiful about the church. There's often people, like I see this in the morning tea and the, like the evening, afternoon time, like when people are just chatting after church. You see two people talking, you're like, I don't think there's a single thing in common with those two people except for the grace of Jesus. Nothing, nothing at all in common. But for some reason, they're family. Some of the most meaningful relationships I've had in my life, people I would never have stopped on the street to talk to, never have had a meaningful friendship with, And yet God in his wisdom and his kindness says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring a diverse, completely different people together and that's how I'm going to build my body. I love that. That's a big part of who we are as a church. We we want to be a diverse community. We don't just want to be a bunch of the same people. We want to to see people from all ages, stages, ethnicities, backgrounds, sexualities coming together to see Jesus, to live under the truth of his word and be transformed. He doesn't leave us where we are but being joined together as the body of Christ. We need each other. We're interdependent. We depend on one another. And lastly, and very quickly, there's this phrase that I just can't get out of my mind as I was reading this passage. Verse five, look with me. Here's what Paul says. He says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member, here's the important part, belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. Um, I think sometimes we think of church as an optional when I can fit it into my schedule. Paul's saying here, if you're a Christian, you belong to other Christians. You feel free to tap the person next to you and say, I'm a gift to you, you know, because God's given you to each other. You belong to one another. You have a spiritual responsibility to the people that form this church, this family. If you belong to 7 p.m. Kirribilli, this is your church. These are the people that God has joined you with. If you belong to Church by the Bridge St. Augustine's, you've been joined with this church. We are the body of Christ. And it's it's not an optional extra. It's actually our identity as Christians. We are the body of Christ. I think often we have a danger of treating church like a spiritual product to be consumed. Um, You know, in in a good sense, 
Um, we we want to come and hear a good sermon that's going to lift our souls to the Lord. We want to listen to good music and sing when we can um, that's going to lift our hearts to Him and to worship Him. It's kind of like this sense that we're cars that need refueling for the week ahead. We want God to come and just kind of inject His spiritual energy into us when we come to church so we can go out and live the faith out. That's a good thing, but if you think that's what church is about, you've missed the point. It's not a product to be consumed, it's a community to belong to. It's a family that you've been adopted into, and you can't opt out of family. I think about the teenage daughter who screams at her family, I want nothing to do with this family. I'm out. I hate you all. Some of you are sitting here being like, I've been there. Um, but then two days later, at the, you know, in the kitchen table saying, oh, mom, do you mind if I have 10 bucks for lunch today at school? You know, I thought you hated me. Oh, no, I, I, was, just being over, I was being dramatic. You know, I, I want to be a part of this family. There's no opting out of family. When God saves you and brings you into the community of God, we belong to each other. Yes, please come and enjoy services, but your primary function as a body of Christ is to serve one another. It's to contribute. And that's why you get this image of different body parts. You have functions to fulfill. God has given you gifts so that you can bless other people. So just to wrap up, I've got a couple of questions that I just want to ask you um, just for you to think about as you work out what does it mean to think of yourself rightly and to think of others rightly, to live in this church, this body of Christ. First one is, what are the gifts that God's given you? We didn't spend too much time looking at it, but there's a whole list of gifts here that close out the passage. You've got prophesying and prophesy. Serving, serve. It's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. Giving, give generously. Lead, do it diligently. Show mercy, do it cheerfully. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. You can go look at different lists in the New Testament of different gifts, and they're all slightly different from one another. I think what God's trying to say is, I have given every single believer gifts, and when you've got it, do it. Like that kind of shines out here. If you've got the gift, use the gift. So I've got to ask you, what are the gifts that you have? And this isn't a moment to go home, close the you know, bedroom door, and sit down and go, okay, what are my gifts, God? Now, often this is best worked out with people, right? Like you don't necessarily know what it is that God has given you for others. The best people to tell you that are the others who receive the gift. And so again, grab a few close friends, trusted people who kind of know you and say, hey, how do you think God's gifted me? And I say, well, every time I talk to you, I just walk away encouraged and built up. You know, I, I didn't even thought about that. I just say stuff. You know, maybe you have the gift of encouragement. It's something you need to take, take more seriously and lean into. Maybe it's like every time you speak in Connect Group, people just listen to you. It seems like you have some insight into what God's doing. You know, maybe you've got a gift for teaching. Maybe it's time to lean into that a little bit more. You know, don't, don't just look at this list. Go and search through all the lists. Ask your people that know you, what are my gifts? And then when they tell you, do it. Seems like rocket science. It's not. How are you gifted? Start living it out. And this body of Christ will be blessed for it. Here's my second question, a little bit stronger. Are you committed to this family of God? Are you committed to the body of Christ? Is church a, a product that you consume when it's available to you? Um, and this might be a, a nice moment for us who are online to think about the fact that if we can come back, there's something really important about being in person. We totally recognize that so many of us are in different seasons and online is just a brilliant opportunity to gather outside of the building. The body of Christ is global. You can continue to be a part of the community of faith from the comfort of your living room. But when we have the opportunity to gather and be here and serve one another, are you committed? Are you committed to the family of God? 
And lastly, this is going to get a little bit jarring, but very specifically, have you thought about the really clear, obvious needs that our church has? Because those are the spots to just step up and serve if you've got the gifting. Right now, there are 79 students up at Neutral Bay Public School that we teach scripture at who say, I want to hear about Jesus every week. And we have to tell them, you've got to go to non-scripture or ethics because we just don't have the teachers. Has God gifted you to teach scripture? Um, you might be thinking, well, I don't think I can give a whole day of my week out to teach scripture. Well, good news for you. It's like 45 minutes with a little bit of prep on either side. You know, lots of us are working from home. Could this be an opportunity for you to serve? Maybe you're like, hey, I have a passion for the younger generation, but I don't know what to do. Maybe you need to be a youth leader. Maybe you, you have just been captivated by the grace of Jesus. And you know, what you need to do is go and tell other people about that. Maybe you need to join the Explore team and start just using your gifts so other people can... I don't know what it is. God's given you gifts. He's committed you to this family. Let's lean in. Let's step in closer. Let's give more of ourselves, thinking of ourselves not highly, not lowly, rooting ourselves in the grace of Jesus, pouring ourselves relentlessly out for the good of our brothers and sisters. I just want to finish. Can I just pray for you guys? 7 p.m. Kiribati. I want to pray for you that you would be this kind of body of Christ, living that, that reality out. Let's pray together. Father Almighty, you are the king of the universe, and you in your majesty and power and holiness choose to take hold of a bunch of broken sinners and lavish them with your love. You take us in our absolute mess and you save us. You rescue us and you rescue us into a family. You rescue us into a single body underneath Jesus, our head. Father, here for 7 p.m. purely, I just pray that you might be stirring us by your spirit this week, even right now, to, to think of who we might be serving and loving, of how we might be using our gifts would you be even convicting us that maybe we need to, to lean in more relationally and commit more to this community? God, you know each of us, you know our hearts, you've put us here for a reason, you've brought us to this family. Lord, we ask that you would lead us as our good God, our shepherd, and ultimately God, our Savior. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus.